Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. I've got a couple of, I think, pretty exciting things to share with you today. The first is a whole series of questions from a member of the congregation at All Saints here. This is a long email that I've printed out that uh, one of our members sent to Pastor Neil and me, and Pastor Neil shared some thoughts uh, with this member a few days ago. But uh, the questions here are so detailed and so thought-provoking that I thought I would spend a bit of time working through them here. They concern the practice that we have here at All Saints of the Lord's Supper, not unique to us, of course, but something which is distinctive uh, as a feature of our denomination, the CREC, uh, is the practice of paid communion, the welcoming of baptized children to the Lord's table. And some of these questions pertain to that and have implications not just for children, but also for adults and our understanding of the Lord's Supper in general. So I want to get to that. That's It's a really interesting set of questions and I think will be illuminating for uh, not just kids, but for uh, adults as well. But before I get to that, I want to share with you some news from a recent meeting that Pastor Neil and Pastor Shaw and I went to in Monroe, Louisiana, where we were at an ad hoc presbytery meeting at the Church of the Redeemer to transact a bunch of business that all of which concerned all saints in various ways. And so we drove five hours there, five hours back, and it was uh, actually a reasonably short meeting, just Tuesday morning, 25th of April, but it was well worth the journey. I've got the minutes here which um, uh, describe the three things that uh, went on. And the first was the reception of King's Cross Reformed Church in Buda, Texas, into the CREC and into the Wycliffe Presbytery as a full member church. You may remember that that church, pastored by Garrett Craw, who is a friend to many of us here at All Saints and has preached here before, was launched a year or two ago and by God's grace has been doing wonderfully well. It's grown now to the point where it's financially self-sustaining. It's fulfilled all the other requirements for full membership status in the CREC. So now we have one more full church in the Wycliffe Presbytery of the CREC and in the CREC as a whole, of course. So praise God for that. And so they were received into the uh, CREC. Uh, Pastor Neil proposed a motion and Pastor Neil has actually been the person most active among the session here at All Saints in liaising with them and has worked tirelessly and wonderfully and very hard to uh, make all that run smoothly. So that was the first thing. I mentioned the third thing second, because the, the second one is really the thing that most concerns us here at All Saints. Uh, the third item on the agenda, which actually was the longest, was an ordination exam for uh, Zachary Parker. Zach Parker has been working as a pastoral assistant at the Church of the Redeemer in Monroe alongside Pastor Steve Wilkins, for whom we've been praying in recent months because his health has not been great. And uh, so we had an ordination exam for Zach. Uh, I had the privilege of participating in the exam as one of the examining committee. Um, and it was somewhat hastily done in the sense we didn't want to wait till the presbytery gathering at the end of the year because Pastor Wilkins' health has been at one or two points really quite seriously up and down. Now, uh, as it happens right now, he seems to be doing, doing great, responding to treatment well. He was preaching on Easter Day and Zach, in conversation with me, he said... Uh, uh, he brought the fire, which is great to hear Pastor Wilkins back to his um, full strength and so on. But uh, notwithstanding that, the Church of the Redeemer asked if we could uh, schedule Zach's exam uh, sooner rather than later. So we had an ad hoc meeting mainly for that purpose, actually, from the point of view of the presbytery as a whole. And I'm very happy to report that despite the fact that we hauled him over the coals for two and a half hours, um, he did extremely well and uh, was unanimously recommended by uh, us as a committee and uh, unanimously voted on in favour of being uh, put forward for ordination as a minister in the CREC. So he's going to be serving as an assistant pastor to Pastor Wilkins at the Church of the Redeemer. Uh, and he's a great guy. I had a chance to meet him a number of times over the last few years and with his family, his wife Samantha and their children recently. We had them over to our place just to get to know them a bit better. 
and he really aced the exam and did a fantastic job, especially in the short time available. So that was great. The third thing, which is actually item two on the agenda, was the uh, reception of Pastor Jeff Shaw into the uh, formally into the presbytery at uh, Wycliffe Presbytery of the CREC. So you may know that before a pastor can, who's already been ordained, before a pastor can be uh, welcomed officially into the a church within the series, see they, they ought to be examined by a, a committee of presbytery, not the same kind of examination that somebody who's not ordained, like Zach Parker, would experience. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it's a fairly lengthy meeting and discussion about uh, his theological views, and so Pastor Shaw had a whole series of conversations uh, a couple of months ago, actually, with a number of representatives of the presbytery, and they came back with a unanimous thumbs up as well. So we are very, very pleased to let you know that Pastor Shaw has um, passed the technically called the Credentials Commission. Uh, and so he was enthusiastically welcomed into Presbytery where uh, the other guys uh, who are ministers and assistant ministers and so on are enjoying uh, getting to know him. So that was it. It was a very worthwhile meeting. It was a lot, a lot of travel, but it was very, very valuable. And it, as ever, it's great to see the other guys and hear news about the, the other churches in our denomination, how well uh, everything's going with them. So anyway, that's the news update. Now to the substance of the podcast proper today. Uh, this email, and really it, it's such a, a thoughtfully composed set of questions, clearly the result of some reflection from I think this lady and her family as well, not just her. I want to read some of the questions and then just make some brief responses to them. And you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, I have no expectation of this being the last word on anything but I think it's just good for us to keep these conversations alive and try and kind of look at these issues associated with the Lord's Supper and particularly our children's participation in it with the hope of just growing in our understanding and knowledge and maturity in this matter uh, over time. So here goes. Um, there's the overall question really. How should parents teach their children about the elements of Lord's Day worship, most especially the Lord's Supper? And under that heading is a bunch of sub-points, and I'm just going to read a couple and then respond to them and then read a few more. So what attitude should we teach them to approach the table with? Is the Lord's Supper only a solemn sacrament, or may it be viewed as thankful feasting or a mix of both? And how should we as adults model this? Perhaps it doesn't hinge necessarily on the child's engagement, but the line between solemn assembly and joyful assembly in general for all of us not just children okay so there's an overall question how do we teach our children about the lord's supper and lord's day worship in general and then particular the first thing what attitude is it a solemn sacrament or is it a thankful feasting or a joyful occasion or what is it let me make a couple of comments first yes absolutely i want to encourage parents to talk with their children about every aspect of the Christian life, including our worship, including the Lord's Supper. And it, oh my goodness. Suspected spam. Anyway, what was it? Where was I? All right, first thing. Um, so yeah, I want to encourage you to teach your children about uh, every aspect of the Lord's Supper uh, and the, our worship in general and the Christian life. And it may be that you find yourself in a situation where uh, you're not quite sure what to say in response to certain questions. Uh, that's fine. Um, say what you can. Uh, some Bible passages to go to would be 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, John 6, if you just dig this up for a second. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about the Lord's Supper in the context of some of the disagreements in the church in Corinth, and it's 
got the familiar words of institution. You could take them to Luke 21, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, John 6 is particularly illuminating because it highlights the connection between uh, faith in the Son of God and feeding on him by eating him and so on. Um, and uh, come to more of that eating stuff in, in a moment. But I want to say, yes, do teach your children, obviously, outside the service and inside it. Um, and if you need resources, give us a shout. And maybe this podcast will serve as one such resource. On the question of solemn assembly or joyful uh, celebration, there's a couple of things to say just on that point, I think. The first is that it's often observed that we are perhaps a little bit too solemn at the Lord's Supper. We we can run the risk of, um, what would we say, uh, turning it into a kind of mournful occasion, like an extended funeral for Jesus, a Good Friday remembrance, rather than a celebration of his resurrection. And there is something potentially harmful about that. I, and so, Actually, in our Lord's Supper celebration, we do have music playing. We, uh, it, it wouldn't be bad or wrong for you to be talking quietly with your children during that time. But at the same time, I guess I want to say, look, let's be realistic. It is a, it, it is a meal, but it's a stylized meal. Uh, of course, it's true that we don't sit and eat in silence when we're having a normal meal. But the meal that we're having at the Lord's table is not really a meal in the normal sense. It's a liturgically... Um, stylized or uh, it's a it's formula uh, it's it's formularized to fit into a liturgical context it's it's stripped of some of the informality that normally accompanies eating and it's given a particular tight structure so it only takes a very short time and it fits into a liturgical context it has that kind of formulaic structure and I don't think that's a problem uh, sometimes Christians want to say, well, it's not the proper Lord's Supper unless it's a full meal, like um, the Last Supper was a full meal. I want to say, well, no, not really, because it, this is everything we do in worship is to some extent a stylized representation of the, the things that it represents. Our, our standing and lifting our hands is a, a stylized form of praise and uh, adoration and our kneeling to confess our sins is a, a stylized and representative form of humility and a gesture of humility. It's not the humility itself. So I don't think we should worry too much that there's something almost representative about this meal. It's not like a full or proper meal. Uh, but uh, I don't know whether that helps you to to relax about it. Um, sometimes I think what churches try to do is introduce an element of art artificiality to try and create a sort of moment of joyful celebration in the middle of the worship service, which uh, sometimes can work, but I think sometimes it just feels slightly artificial because it's a short period of time in the middle of a worship service. So don't worry about that. Uh, and just teach your children to eat and drink and you know, chat quietly or listen to the music or pray or reflect on what's been said in the sermon or whatever it is. Um, uh, but yes, not mournfully contemplating the death of Jesus only always every week because we serve a risen Christ as well. So another aspect of this series of questions, how do we help to cultivate a faithful reverence for Christ's sacrifice in our children and avoid the practice of the Lord's Supper being just a snack time during the service in the eyes of the child? How does an 18-month-old do this in remembrance of me? Well, that's interesting because like just a snack time. Well, 
uh, yeah, I, th I think, to be honest, we, we realize that that might happen in the minds of some children. Uh, although, to the extent that we're teaching them, as they grow up from six months, eight months, 10, 12, a year and a half, two, three, they'll see it less as, less as just the bread time and more as, as their cognitive capacity increases and as you're teaching them more, they have more of an ability to, to reflect on the, the, the things that these symbols refer to. And so the meal grows in richness uh, at that point. That said, I don't think it's at all bad for a little child to view this as just a snack time. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily irreverent. Let's put it like that. Um, children look forward to snacks. Uh, it's a natural thing for a child to enjoy stuffing food in its mouth after it's not e eaten anything for two hours. Um, and that emotion of joyfulness when a young child eats the bread for example, could easily be the platform that develops in uh, a slightly older child and a young adult's life into a more deep appreciation of what this means. I don't think we need to eviscerate the simple joy of, I'm getting to eat bread and it's really lovely and it's got that wonderful Himalayan rock salt that some of our ladies put on it when they, when they cook it for us. I don't think we need to pull that away because that can form the platform in a young child for the more mature uh, appreciation of and enjoyment of the goodness of Christ in an older person and a young adult. Uh, the point, how does an 18-month-old do this in remembrance of me? Well, I think, again, uh, there's a sense in which the child is growing into a an understanding of what it is that we're remembering. But it's, there's another point here that is worth just reflecting on. Um, the, the very phrase, do this in remembrance of me, restricts, restricts somewhat the range of possible meanings of the Greek a phrase that lies behind it in the New Testament and actually some of the Hebrew background in one or two of the Psalms. It's possible that, in fact, it's likely at least that this phrase carries the connotation of, it might even be the dominant connotation, uh, it's likely that it carries the connotation not only of do this in remembrance of me, but do this as my memorial. The thought being that the person concerning, the person who is doing the remembering or the, the person who's being called to remember is not just us who are eating, we're doing it in remembrance of Christ and his death and resurrection. But this is a memorial that God has set forth that he is looking at, that we are, so to speak, holding up to God to call upon him to remember his covenant commitment. So we're doing this as the memorial that we hold out to God, saying, Lord, please be faithful to your covenant to us. Now, just a little bit of the exegetical and theological background to this. Of course, it all goes all the way back to Noah, where the first really explicit covenant sign, the sign of the rainbow, is most definitely a sign for God. When I see the rainbow, God says in Genesis 9, um, I will remember, he says. And so the covenant signs have that valence, and they do throughout Scripture. Uh, they are offered, uh, the sacra sacramental meals of the Old Covenant are offered as memorials for God, and the, the, the phrase for the memorial offering is found in 
The superscriptions of some of the Psalms, for example, indicating that there was this ongoing practice of an offering which was a memorial for God to see and remember his covenant to his people. Uh, so in that context, the do this in remembrance of me stroke, do this as my memorial in the Lord's Supper might actually have that connotation as well. So what it means is we're eating and God is seeing us eat and he's remembering, not because he's forgotten, but remembering in the sense of um, we are to think of him as recommitting himself from our perspective to being faithful to those who are eating and drinking. Now, given that, it doesn't matter at all how much or little an 18-month-old understands because the understanding is on God's part and not ours. That was really the reason for that long excursus into the, the meaning of do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and it's an aspect of our uh, practice of the Lord's Supper that probably I could do with re-emphasizing a little bit more because it would help us to gain a fuller picture of it in general terms. It's not just that this is for us to remember what Christ has done for us. It is for us to hold out to God and, and call upon him to remember, quote unquote, not because he's forgotten, but to act in accordance with his covenant commitment to be gracious to us in Christ. And an 18 month old can do that as well as or better than an adult, because as Jesus says, we're supposed to become like them, not make them like us. Right. Goodness. How's time going? Oh, we've got mm, 18 minutes. All right. Um, well, there's a bunch of questions here. I'm actually going to read through the questions at this point, a number of them. And partly because the questions themselves are so stimulating, I'll read them slowly and encourage you to reflect on them yourself. And then I'll say a couple of things by way of response to them. Here goes. There's a much larger question about sacramental efficacy here. What does God do in the Lord's Supper for us and our children? How does God nourish and sustain a young child who partakes with limited knowledge? How should the child respond in faith? Is a simple act of eating enough for a young child to be operating faithfully? Well, perhaps uh, what I've said just now in response to the previous question speaks to this. Uh, part of what's going on in terms of sacramental efficacy, how the sacrament of the Lord's Supper works, is that God is being called upon. It's a kind of physical prayer, the sacrament. We're calling upon God to remember his kindness to us. That's what God is doing. God is, and God promises that he will remember. That is to say, he'll see and act on the basis of and act in accordance with his kindness to us when we do this. Is the simple act of eating enough? Yes, absolutely. But then how should the child respond in faith? Well, the answer to that is in keeping with the child's capacity to believe. And you've heard me talk before, if you're a regular at All Saints or familiar with this podcast, you've heard me talk before about, for example, Psalm 22, 9 and 10, where David recalls how, uh, well, he doesn't recall, that's the whole point. He describes the experience that he had as a nursing infant and even as a pre-born baby, where he says that he trusted God at his mother's breasts when he was being breastfed, like a three-day-old baby or something. He describes the disposition that he had towards God, even at that young age, as uh, trust. And of course, he doesn't remember it, but he's describing it in that way because that's normative for a covenant child. We're to think of covenant children as baby believers. They're babies in the sense that they're physically babies, but they're also baby believers in the sense that their faith is baby faith. Calvin talks about the seed of faith implanted in the heart of an infant. 
And so that seed grows up gradually, imperceptibly, but over the course of 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it grows from being very tiny seed to being very much bigger. And so more recognisable by us as what we think of as faith. Could it be true that the Lord's Supper, this questioner continues, as the culmination of the worship service is the time when a young child is being ministered to most properly, as they more than likely understand eating best out of all the things we do together in our worship services? Is it okay if a child's attention is captured mainly during this part of the service? Absolutely. Absolutely okay. And yes, it's quite plausible that just this act of eating is experienced by a kid who's like just a month or two or three or six or eight months old as, oh, this is the great bit where I get to eat bread. And as they grow a bit older, they start to think of it more as, this is the great bit because God has given me bread to eat and it's something to do with Jesus. And then they get a bit older still and they start to get a kind of intuitive sense of, as I'm eating this, I'm being strengthened by Jesus who gives me himself for living a life of faithfulness. That's exactly right. And it's one of the reasons why it is, I think, somewhat tragic that the practice of giving the Lord's Supper to baptised children has fallen into unpopularity among the Reformed since, really, since the Reformation. Um, it's always been a minority view, though it's always been present. Uh, it isn't um, crippling or heretical or anything, but it is sad that this practice should have fallen into comparative disuse since Reformation. It was actually the mainstream practice for the first 1100 years of the church, but that's another story for another day. Um, so yeah, um, children understand feeding, understand eating, and one wonders whether God hasn't designed the sacrament of the Lord's Supper partly with that in mind, because even a six-month-old can understand bread being given to them as food. If so, is there an expectation of learning the Eucharist first and then growing in maturity out from there? This, the question continues. How do we encourage the spread of this engagement to every part of Lord's Day worship? How do we teach our children to focus and participate to the best of their abilities in all parts of Lord's Day worship, not just the supper when they might be naturally more interested? Well, there's a should we question there, and the answer is yes, and there's a how question, implied at least, and that's, well, that's the challenge of parenting in this context isn't it but do have it as your goal parents and do have it as your goal as well children if you're listening to this to grow in your appreciation of all the different parts of the service as a young person i'll tell you a story when i was younger myself i used to sing in a church choir in the church of england that i was taken to from the age of about i guess nine through to 17 and i do distinctly remember um my appreciation of some parts of the service being stronger than others. Uh, I didn't really go for the sermons very much, and from what I remember of the church, there wasn't much in the sermons to go for. But there were elements of the service that I found increasingly meaningful as I grew up. And uh, I don't know that I ever spoke with anybody about that very much. The family I was in, it, we didn't have that kind of, we didn't have those kinds of relationships, really, where we talked about our faith very much. It's a feature of my own upbringing that I'll talk about another day if you want. But um, the, uh, yeah, the expectation that a young person's appreciation ought to grow much more than minded, actually, as a young person, to encompass more of the worship service is absolutely right. And you'll notice that from time to time, Pastor Neil and I do address the children and young people specifically with the aim of 
trying to engage them and to encourage them to realize, yeah, this is for you, specifically for you, because the whole thing is for you. So, yeah, okay. Where were we? Uh, when should a parent perform this teaching? I think we've probably talked about that. During the Eucharistic gathering on the Lord's Day or any other ordinary day or a mix of both? I think I probably want to say both, but with the caveat that, well, let's not turn the Lord's Supper into a, another lesson, another sermon. That's a danger, I think, a temptation for some preachers and pastors, myself included, that we we turn it into another sort of sermon part B. Um, it is fine, of course, to be uh, talking uh, quietly to your kids or as, as they're eating and encouraging them to reflect on, uh, you know, this is the body of Christ broken for you, whatever it is you say. But um, I would have thought that the most appropriate point for a lengthy discussion is is outside the service. And then finally, more generally, how might we be merciful to our children and set them up for success as we come together to worship the Lord? How shall we prepare them? What should we talk about on our way to and from church in the car? Hmm. Well, we send out Saturday emails, partly for this reason. I, I know that some people um, do use those Saturday emails to reflect on the Bible readings, the text for the sermon. I know that some people do this because on the one occasion when I sent out the one, the wrong scripture reading, I sent out Judges 21 rather than Joshua 21. I got a couple of very puzzled emails from people saying, is this really what you're going to preach on? And I have preached on Judges 21 many times, actually. Go and look it up if you aren't sure why that should be a surprise. Um, but no, it was Joshua 21. So I know some people do do that. I think that's a great way to do it, actually, because what you're actually doing is uh, recognizing this is not just something that's dropped into our week that's disconnected from the rest of the week. The way we should think of worship, among other things, is a kind of it's an encounter with the living God that has tentacles stretching backwards and forwards in time. So we're looking forward to it uh, on Friday, Saturday as it approaches, anticipating it. Uh, our minds, to a certain extent, are occupied with it. And then we go out from it into the world with it, all that we've experienced there capturing our hearts and all that we've heard there ringing in our ears. Uh, there's an old Anglican benediction, which actually, back to my childhood, this is how every service used to end, actually, the Anglican liturgy that we used growing up. It was, um, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the congregation would reply, in the name of Christ, amen. And there's a nice sense there in which we're being sent out into the world to love and serve the Lord off the back of what we've just heard and experienced. So that might be helpful. Again, I wouldn't want to be formulaic. I wouldn't, you, you don't want, let's say, the journey home in the car to be um, sermon quiz time um, in a way that makes it um, unappealing to people. Uh, your, your, your children, for example, you know, like they, they're in trouble if they can't remember the three points from the sermon or something like that. But if there's a way of making it um, interesting and uh, maybe, I know one thing that some families have done, especially with somewhat younger children who are getting to the stage where they ought to be able to concentrate pay attention to the sermon but aren't yet right there where they're tracking with everything uh to have a uh a question which is okay what what's one thing that struck you today or what's one thing that you remember from today and and sometimes you might get some uh, odd answers like i remember that story that pastor neil told about the elephant or i remember that story that pastor jeffrey told about 
the three blind dogs or something. Uh, not that I've ever told a story about those things or that I can remember Pastor Neil talking about elephants, but you get the point. Um, there are ways of doing it. Uh, I'd encourage you not to make it onerous, but actually for the whole of our lives, if possible, to be filled with a kind of ethos of, oh, this is exciting. We're looking forward to worship uh, and we're excited about what we learned and we're going to try and maybe make some changes off the back of it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and in the rest of our lives. It was actually a widespread Puritan practice to prepare for Lord's Day worship. They often call it Sabbath worship, to prepare for the Lord's Day on Saturday evening. And again, in some cases, it went a bit overboard with several hours of contemplation on Saturday night, but certainly to pray together. Please pray at the breakfast table on Sunday morning for your pastors and for the whole congregation as we gather. I'm sure you do. Uh, and allow the, the worship context that we're either looking forward to or looking back on to infuse the rest of our lives that way. Okay, well, look, I mean, there is a bunch of other stuff we could talk about. That, I've gone through all the bullet points here. Um, uh, and there's one final comment. You know, I'm just questioning, here's the final comment. I'm just questioning if there's anything adults can learn from how a child approaches the Lord's Supper. Perhaps there's a simplicity and yet expectation of continued growth that may be appropriate for all believers to practice as well. You know, I think that's very well put and uh, it's certainly true. It goes back to the eating thing and the memorial thing, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus didn't say, study this or think about this or look at this in remembrance of me. He said, do this, and then he ate. Um, and moreover, the in remembrance of me, as I said, could have that memorial aspect where you're told just to do this. Just come, do this, eat it, enjoy it, and see it as a, a memorial that you're holding up to God to call upon him to remember, quote-unquote, and be faithful to his promises as he's committed to do. I think that could be something we could definitely learn from children. Come to Jesus like a child in that sense is very helpful advice. All right, that's enough, I think, from me. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, I look forward to seeing those of you who are all saints uh, very soon. Uh, but for now, God bless, and see you next time. Thank you.